Welcome to Coffee, Grief, and Gratitude, a podcast by Coffee and Grief. I'm Maria Gibson, and this is my mom, Annie Gudger. We're a mom-daughter team who talk about grief. We started this podcast to learn more about grief and to be in the conversation of normalizing grief. We're not looking for any answers because there really aren't any. We're just here looking for a conversation. So you can learn a little bit more about us. My biggest grief was being widowed when I was 28 and pregnant with Maria's older brother. Everything in my world changed, eventually for the good, and that took time. Eventually there was Scott, my fabulous husband, and then Maria, our amazing daughter. I'm fond of saying grief is the source of my superpowers. It's where I learned to not take time for granted. It's where I learned compassion and love in a bigger, deeper way. It's where I learned to be a beauty seeker, a joy seeker. I wrote my way through grief. I filled stacks of journals. Years later, I wrote a memoir. The fifth chamber is a story of love and loss and more love. The fifth chamber, as in, if your heart had a fifth chamber, what would you fill it with? It's my grief story and how I found my way back to me, how I found my way back to love and a beautiful life. It just came out in September. You can find it wherever you buy your books. And I would just ask that once you read it, if you could leave a review on Amazon and Goodreads, that would be fabulous. For me, I was raised by my mom who was grieving. Grief was very normalized in our home. It's something we talked about often on the dinner table and in the car. A thing I've realized the past couple of years is when we don't share our griefs, they become secrets and tear people up. But in sharing them, we can connect to each other on a very deep level. The past couple of years, I've lost multiple people in my life, including two grandparents and several horses and cats. I feel many deaths in my life have been major benchmarks in how I view the world. We like to say that grief is transformative. You don't need to stay stuck in the hard parts. Grief is one of life's certainties. It allows us to connect to each other's humanity. If you're here in the early stages of grief, we're here to say it's hard. We're here to say to be kind to yourself and thank yourself for showing up, for being curious about what grief can look like in its wholeness. These conversations aren't a prescription. We're just here offering a little bit of hope. So as we like to say, grab your coffee or whatever's in your cup and let's talk. Today, we're delighted to welcome Jonathan Foster, who will read a piece of his writing and then we'll be in conversation with him. Hello, Jonathan. Hello, ladies. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, we're so happy you're here. So here's here's Jonathan's bio. Jonathan is a husband, dad, writer, and former church planter with some degrees in mimetic theory and open and relational framework. He's the partner of one and father of three, and his recent book, Indigo, The Color of Grief, can be found at his website, Jonathan, jonathanfosteronline.com, and we'll put that site in our show notes. So Jonathan, what will you be reading for us today? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I figured I would read a couple of short chapters from the aforementioned Indigo, The Color of Grief. Um, each chapter is only, I don't even know if we can call them chapters. They're only like two or three pages long. So I'm going to read a chapter I just call it shocking. And then one right after it called weeks. Are you ready? Okay. 
shocking to lose something so important. I mean, this wasn't like the remote or keys or even a famous painting. This was something actually priceless. How could this happen? How could someone so full of life lose their kid? How could a kid so full of life be gone? Couldn't wrap my mind around her departure. In the dead of winter, age 20, threshold of adult, threshold of next, not unlike a spring season for her. So she died full of life in spring in the dead of winter? What the? She had so much life to live. Wait, what was the point? We'd been getting her to adulthood, showing her how, leading the way, shoe tying, piano playing, stick shift driving, a thousand things. We did it, she observed, then followed. That's the way this works. Kids follow parents. But then she died, and the sequenced sequence was wrecked. Hurt so bad. Messed up eating. Messed up sleeping. Messed up eliminating waste. Messed up routine. Messed up directions to post office. Messed up everything. I'd be talking, and words would start acting like little tripwires, connected to little memories, connected to little detonations of sadness. Just normal conversations, dentist or barber or grocery store. Have any kids, sons, daughters? How many kids do you have? Next thing I knew, I was slipping behind closed doors, trying not to make a scene in public space, dentist or barber or grocery store. Yeah, just trying to find secluded place to make room for little detonations of sadness. Weeks until the headstone arrived, until the sunshine arrived, March maybe, maybe April, little flames of sprouting green all throughout the cemetery in springtime. In springtime, we went to... We went to see the grave marker, to mark her grave with flowers, wife and me. I'll not soon forget intentional way she knelt, took a breath, and arranged uprooted plants. Way she leaned back on her heels, fingers absently gripping fistfuls of grass. Way she snatched a tear with the back of her hand, dirt and moisture creating little patterns of grief on her cheek. Way her hair fell over her face. Way I felt looking at her, how much I loved her, how much I wanted to throw up. I stood close, like a tree providing shade, strike that, like a sentinel providing protection, strike that, useless. She arranged and then rearranged as if this spot might be fixed with uprooted plants, as if uprooted lives might be fixed with an arrangement of uprooted plants. Started to say, it doesn't matter. Started to say, nothing matters, but I stopped because something very much started to matter in the way she worked so diligently amid the sadness. I've thought five or 37 or a thousand times since, what is life if not beauty's pursuit at the edge of the grave? Wow, thank you. Thank you. That's so, that's so beautiful. I love hearing it in your voice. I got to read it and now I got to hear it in your voice. Um, Thank you. It's always interesting uh, reading that out loud is uh, and for people and with people, I'm sure you get that often from others. It's uh, that's challenging. You're like, Oh, I got to make my way through these few pages here without losing it. <laughs> yeah, it's real. It is. It's very different to read it than when you were writing it. And when you're writing it, um, you know, in just you, the solitariness of it, mm -hmm. and now having it be something public that you're going to yeah. have in the world very soon. Right. Yeah. So uh, we heard a little bit of your grief story in your piece, but we always didn't like to ask if you could tell us a brief version of your grief story through your life. 
Yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, uh, although there's been a lot of beautiful things that come out of it, it, it's just, it's kind of been my whole life off and on. There's just, it's been marked by a lot of loss. And as you ladies and your listeners probably know, loss isn't just the death of someone. There's all kinds of loss manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Um, having said that, yeah, I've experienced a lot of that throughout my life. This particular book and the most intense season of loss for me has been, yes, the loss of our daughter who was killed uh, on New Year's Day, 2015 in a car wreck. And she was 20, 20 and a half, almost 20 years, six months old. And so the last going on almost nine years now has just been living in the wake of that absurd thing and trying to figure out what it means, although none of us can really probably ever totally figure that out. And to try to just, um, yeah, wrestle with all the implications and the pain and the heartache, but also the beauty and the goodness that has kind of been flowing out of all of that. I was thinking about in the, the first piece you read, um, how it's just such a common thing for people to ask when people ask about our families, when people ask, like, do you have kids? How many kids do you have to, and for anyone who has had a child's eye, that is, there's not a, a straightforward answer, right, right? Right, right? I've heard people answer it in lots of different ways. And, right. um, and, and it's been a, a, it's been huge. Like for me to, one of the things that I've learned to ask people instead is like, to tell me about your family, mm. right? Because, um, because the other, you just, you know, it's, it's yours to share when you're ready to share it. That's right. right? Yep. Yep. And, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes um, it, it kind of doesn't matter what the person asks. It's, it's all, it's all tricky to try to navigate that. Even if, uh, tell me about your family. Well, then I have to decide, hmm, should I talk about this most, you know, awkward, absurd, terrible, great thing also. So, but I love the intention behind what you're saying, which is to try to be aware when you're interacting with people and give them space to tell whatever they want to share, whatever they want to share. Yeah. Yeah. I think about when, um, people used to say to me, so, you know, I, my first husband died, I remarried, we had Maria. And so people met us and my husband adopted Jake. So they met us as the Gudgers and the four of us, Jake looks a lot like me. Maria looks a lot like her dad. Although she looks more like me as she's getting older and, and invariably Jake's taller. Scott's not tall. I am super not tall. And, you know, people would ask like, where'd he get his height? Right. And I usually joked and said from me, right. If yeah. I wasn't, if I didn't want to disc, if I didn't want to share yeah. it and, yeah. you know, and I became really aware, like it was, it was mine to share when I wanted to. And when somebody right. was honestly asking, as opposed to just that random question, like, how come, how come your kid's so tall, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. Because you're, you're weighing, not only do you want to, what you want to share, but you're also constantly weighing what, how the other person, how you think they're going to react and, and will they be able to hold this um, in a relatively non-awkward? I mean, none of us do it great, um, but some people, you, you kind of get that sense. They probably have the capability of, of rolling with it better than others. So yeah, you're right. It's, it's tricky. <laughs> 
well, how is your, how is your grief difference? How's your, how's your grief different now? You mean, um, after going on almost nine years from, yeah. from the beginning? Hmm. Yeah, it's, um, well, I mean, the most obvious thing and the first thing that comes to mind is just, uh, you know, the intensity of the pain is so great initially. So the, the stabbing of that pain that, that gets your attention in that particular way has certainly decreased. But my, you know, the thought about my daughter, uh, uh, that my thoughts about her haven't really decreased. I mean, it's still there. It's just now instead of a, instead of a beating sun, it's like, um, it's like the shade of a tree, uh, you know, like a tree following me around or something instead of a, a hot sun, but it's still something there. And um, that constantly makes me think uh, about it and wrestle with it and try to try to think through it. So that, I mean, that's the most obvious thing. I'm a, I'm a more introspective person now. You kind of alluded to that um, in your intro uh, about, you know, being different and, and, yeah, I think we all get changed by everything in life, but certainly something this intense. So I think I'm slightly more patient, which is which is good. I really needed that. Um, I've learned, and I'm learning because I'm not there yet, just to give myself space and grace. And um, I think of space and grace a lot. They're like synonymous concepts for me. Um, and not to try to rush through to fix you know, this particular thing will never be fixed. It's just something that I carry. But I, actually, that's kind of true with most everything in life. There are very few things you really can fix. So it's really colored my outlook in all, all of my problems, all the antagonism. It, I don't approach them like I used to when I was younger with this really heavy dose of masculine, like I got to win and dominate this thing, but much more, um, much with a lot more grace. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a lovely way to evolve, right? Yeah. Because the truth is, I love what you said. There is so little, if anything, we can actually fix. Um, and we just get to, we, we get to grow around it. That's how I always say like, you know, grief, grief doesn't go away. It doesn't shrink. We get bigger. Our hearts get bigger. We right. come to different understandings of it. Um, but it's still something, it's still something that you carry. Yep. Yep. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, there's no time machine to go backwards and change that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Time keeps moving on, and um, it's a that's a whole grieving process in and of itself. Trying to trying to wrap your brain around you know the years that you have lost with your loved one or with whatever it is this particular thing that you're grieving. Uh, super challenging can be, yeah. So you have already answer this question in several ways, but I still was curious if, how has your grief changed you in any other ways or if you already answered it? Oh no. Um, as you guys know, as you ladies know, my wife says I shouldn't say guys to girls, but I'm, I always just say it in a friendly way, but I, it's, it's okay. It works. Yeah, it works. It's um, okay. you know, there's a hundred different ways to approach the topic and there's a hundred different ways it's changed me. So we could, we could probably spend our entire time talking about that. So um, like I mentioned the bio, my background's in theology 
um, I was a, I was a, I've been a pastor most of my life. And so when you ask that, the first thing that comes to mind is it's changed me in theological ways, you know, very similar to what I was just saying with respect to fixing things. I used to have an idea and a concept of God that he or she, although let's be honest, it used to be totally he, um, he would step out of time and space and in an interventionist kind of a way, fix things at some point. Going through such intense loss has invited me to reconsider what might be going on with the divine. And it's possible that that is accurate, what I used to think, but I also think it's possible that it's a, a lot more nuanced and interesting and a lot more, there's a lot more entanglement going on versus like this substance-based um, ontology where God is, you know, the being of God is different than us. So I'm much more interested in how the divine is wrapped up in everything, entangled, inter interconnected, enmeshed, all these kinds of words. And it, it changed me a lot. I mean, my theology, in some ways it's, it's the same because I'm really interested in love, but in other ways, it just <laughs> changed me a lot and wound up really just kind of moving me out of my old former uh, religious circles, which was absurd and really, really painful. And another thing to have to grieve on top of everything else. But at the same time, I'm like super honored and really grateful for it. And uh, so it kind of just is what it is. So yeah, it's changed me in those ways too. Yeah, it's changed you in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, is there anything you would say to your younger self? Well, I would say that um, I probably don't need to drink as much soda. But you were probably talking about other things. Um, it's a pretty open-ended question. It like, is. What, it was what, very, what would you say to your younger self? Very open. I would probably save more money. Yeah, those kinds of things. <laughs> With respect to grief, I think I'll just stick with the theme that we've already kind of landed on, which is, um, you know, this isn't a race. Life is not a race. Um, we've all been conditioned by American exceptionalism and consumerism and capitalism to, you know, to to want to be winners and and, and in some ways, there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But in other ways, I think it has caused a lot of dysfunctional impatience in our society. So I think I'll just stick with that theme and say that I would tell my younger self that uh, I'd probably just give him a big hug, say it's gonna, <laughs> it, it's going to be all right. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I think it's it's lovely to... Because um, I've definitely done that, like to think back and to reach out to our younger selves and give them some love. Yeah, yeah. Because right? they probably got a lot of advice already. Like, can we just, can we give them some love? And so, um, I mean, you probably, I'm sure you already know this, but um, just just the practice of doing that is, can be incredibly healing. And um, to be able to to reflect upon your younger self, no matter what you've gone through and done and to give yourself um trying to think of a, I've used grace so much. Is there, a, is there another word, but to give yourself grace uh, is incredibly healing. So it's a great question. And I, I think something really important for all of us to do. 
Yeah. I don't think you can overuse grace. I'm just going to say. So it's a lovely word. You can't. Um, How do you support others in their grief? Like, is there something you say to them? Is there some act you do now that you've gone through what you've gone through? Well, obviously, one thing I hope I'm doing, um, I always kind of wanted to write and I, I was in the process of becoming a writer when this all happened um, eight or nine years ago. But it, that quickly all got ramped up because writing for me became a way to, you know, try to work through and process what these things mean. It's something about the moving words around on a screen. I, I, don't, I don't exactly know what it, why it, that's helpful for me. So that piece of it was helpful for me. And also just wrestling with, you know, kind of creating new boundaries and new borders that that's a part of what writing is. So I, I got into it for me. I still do it for me, but to answer your question, I hope that, I hope that the writing is helpful for others. And I do hear that. I mean, as a, as an author, I, you know, you could probably never, can never hear it enough, but um, I have gotten enough consistent feedback over the years that it's encouraged me and kept me going. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad for that. And so I think, what do I do? I think I'm doing that also in terms of like more practical things, which is might of what you've been, what you may have been asking. I just try not to talk too much when people are going through really intense loss. Um, again, try not to fix it for them because I know that that has never been a great thing for me to have a bunch of people come over and use words. And a lot of times, you know, people mean well, but the words, are, are really just kind of thrown together out of anxiety because they can't deal with their own issues. Um, and the intensity of my problems has reminded them of the intensity of their problems. So I always think of that when I'm around people who have gone through loss, especially really intense loss, although that's all relative. So I'm not even sure what that phrase means. And I try to, I don't, I'm not, a, I'm not always great at it, but I, I just try to be um, a non-anxious presence and I think that that's helpful for them. I really like that. A non-anxious presence. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone else recently said to be clean in our own grief first. There you go. Yeah. Right. And I, that, that one will always stay with me. Yeah. Because sure. I, Does, I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just thinking, because then, then it's what you said. Then, then we can be a uh, presence with someone else and, and not layer our grief with theirs. And just be calm. Yeah. yeah. Not and anxious. Right. And it happens in so many things in life. I, I know you guys have probably had this scenario presented to you, but certainly for me, where I'll be talking with people and, and just a little bit into the conversation, I realize, um, or I surmise, I'm, I'm suspecting, I'm guessing that the anxiety that they're, that's being revealed in their body language and just you know, by their timbre and their tone of voice uh, may or may not have anything to do with this particular thing that we're talking about. It may have something to do with a whole bunch of other stuff. And so, uh, yeah, a, a lot of us, and, and I've been guilty of it too. So a lot of us don't bring our own clean self into things and, and we project and transfer stuff onto others. So I, I'm not sure that there's any better counsel than, than that. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. 
what was the most supportive thing, item or idea that somebody did for you in your grief that you received? The most supportive thing, um, just very and simple helpful. things. Yeah, just really simple things. Hugs and um, presence, you know, just just folks being with us, patience, allowing us to go through whatever it is we needed to go through. It was super challenging. I was a pastor at the time, um, and this is not to complain because there was also some really good things about being a pastor at the time and going through this. But the downside was that um, there was kind of this window, like where everyone, I mean, no one said this, but this is kind of the way it, it played out, um, where everyone's kind of like, yeah, you know, you kind of have a couple years to basically get over this. But beyond that, you know, <laughs> we really kind of need you to be back to normal and help us figure out how to make meaning in a victorious, winning, dominating kind of a, you know, kind of a way. So when that time period, roughly speaking, began to go away, you know, the, those some of those same people who were most gracious and patient at the beginning became, <laughs> became the ones who just were incapable of doing that anymore, which was very fascinating to experience and to watch. Um, and, you know, and there's just a sense people just don't understand. There's just a sense of, well, you, you should be over it now. And, and as we know, you're, you're never really over this thing. Um, you just keep trying to keep walking through it. So I've just, yeah, I've just really appreciated people who haven't needed to, they've just let me be changed because that is kind of, that's what happened. And uh, I, I really appreciate that. Oh, that is, that's a, it's the, the being with, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I keep hearing you, um, mm -hmm. patience and just, and being with and doing all that with grace. Yep. Um, so we always, you've given us several gems here today. And we always like to, as we're getting near the end, we always like to ask if there's anything else you'd like to add or anything that bubbled up for you while we're, we were talking that you'd like to share with our listeners. I feel like I said the same thing about, you know, four different ways uh, and you just, you just mentioned it. So um, no, I think uh, I would, I would love for people to be able to pick up the book, to read it um, and to, you know, immerse themselves in the story a little bit. Um, but no, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and to uh, share a bit about this. Well, we loved having you. And will you tell our listeners how they can get your book? Yeah. Right now, probably the easiest thing to do, the easiest, most memorable thing to do is just to go to jonathanfosteronline.com and there's a link on there to the crowdfunding campaign. That's what I'm doing um, for the first few weeks of this thing. And then we're in talks with some, with some publishers, but um, I think is a pretty good chance. I'm just going to keep this I've been both traditionally published and self-published and there's some really nice things about the self-published. So I may just keep it that way. And so in a few months, you know, they'll be able to find it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and those kinds of things. But easiest thing right now would just be go to go to my website, click on links and order away. Okay. And we'll put that in the show notes too. And I, before yeah. I forget, I want to say, I love the title of your book. Thank um, you. 
blue, all the shades of blue. They're my favorites. Indigo is one of my favorite shades. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned that in one of the emails. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was part of my, when you, when you emailed me, that was part of my draw. I'm like, oh, I love, I love that color. And I, it's such a good shade. It's such a good shade for grief. It really is. It's something that's been on my mind for a couple of years in part, just because I think the word is evocative and it's kind of a cool word. And then it has its gradations. Is it blue? Is it purple? Is it, you know, almost black? All of that, which there's so many metaphorical connections to grief. And and then also it, it makes its way uh, into the book itself. So that's a little bit of a teaser for anybody who simply wants to buy it to find out where the word indigo crops up in the manuscript because it's there too. And it plays a really important role. So yeah, I, I love the word. So I'm thankful for it. I, I love that you said that. Cause I do think there are certain things in, in books or definitely things in my book. And I'm like, it's like an Easter egg hunt for the yeah, readers. Right. right? And right. so there's the tease and then we get to go find it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I, I will, will put your book out there. I wish you all the success in the world with having it reach lots of people. I myself have loved it and feel really privileged that I got to read it. And thank you for sharing it with me and for talking with us today. Well, thank you very much for having me on and thank you for what you all are doing. And yeah, I hope the best for you all too. Thanks. Thank you. So if you would like to connect with us, please reach out on Facebook or email. Our Facebook is the Coffee and Grief Community. You can go in there and join and write your own grief stories. You can share any of your grief interpretations that you have created. Uh, email is coffeeandgrief at gmail.com. If there's something you'd like us to talk about, if you have any notes or thoughts, we'd love to hear them on our email too. We do a coffee talk the first Thursday of every month. It's a little bit like this. There's five different readers who will read a personal grief story. It's uh, on hosted on Zoom. So the Zoom link will be on our Facebook page because it changes every month. But we'd love to see you live in the audience on the first Thursday. We always like to finish by saying, be good to yourself. Be kind to your hearts. Drink plenty of water. Do something kind for yourself. And if you have the bandwidth, do something kind for another. And with that, we'll say goodbye and thank you. We love you and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you. Bye. Bye.